This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. Hello and welcome to another episode of Your Ingle Company, a podcast for like-minded people who want to make smart investment decisions. I'm Maddie and as always, I'm here with my good friend Sophie. Hi Maddie, you are a good friend indeed. (laughs) Thanks. It's the first time I've said that. Okay, so we have a very helpful episode planned for today, but before we start today's episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respect to the elders past and present and to the next generation who we hope to create a different future for. So we are back with our newbie investor who we touched base all the way back in week two, which feels like forever ago now, back with Chloe. Hey, Chloe, how are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me back on. Chloe, we are so excited because today we are checking in to see how you've been going. Right back in episode two, you were yet to start investing. So I would love to know, have you started? (laughs) Uh, yes, I have started and it's going well so far. Haven't uh, gone rogue just yet. <laughs> nice. Been following your advice. Yeah, well, you probably got yourself in a bit of a pickle because you said you were going to start investing. So if you came on today <laughs> and said, no, I hadn't started investing, it would have been a bit awkward. Exactly. You were, you were the empowerment I needed because I haven't taken the plunge yet. And going live on a podcast is definitely the plunge that I think a lot of people need. (laughs) Nothing like saying in a public forum. You're forced to do it. Exactly. So, Chloe, probably the question that we wanted to ask and what people may be thinking, what have you invested in? Have you, you know, put your money into some ETFs or some individual companies? And how did you go about really picking these? Yeah, great question. So, obviously, I still am... staying in the conservative side. So I've only bought into ETFs just yet. Nice. And Perfect. obviously doing all of my own research and listening to all of the wonderful advice that you girls, or not advice. <laughs> I can but, say, <laughs> not financial advice. Yeah. Not financial advice. De- definitely not financial <laughs> advice, but um, learning from all of the experts and wonderful people that you've had on, I have learned about, you know, building a strong diversified portfolio So one of the ETFs I bought into uh, is essentially a diversified fund. Another Mm -hmm. ETF that I've bought into tracks gold, which is, again, a bit of a nano stock or a nano, (laughs) you know, ETF to follow. I've got it. No, it's perfect. (laughs) Yeah. And the third ETF that I've bought into is a sustainable ETF. Nice. So, again, put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. Yeah. It aligns with my value. Yeah, love your work. And I have to ask, how often are you checking your portfolio? Um, <laughs> great question. So uh, when I first started, so on, on actually, you know, the first day that I put money in, I was checking that ETF 
probably every hour <laughs> or more. Um, and that, that week it was, yeah, it was much the same, just consistently checking it. It would go up. I would text so I'd say, you know, I'm making millions. <laughs> I, I was, so, she's like, it's gone up yeah, a cent. Was, I'm like, yes, Chloe. I was so excited. I think that was actually gold. I bought gold when it was, you know, at a bit of a dip. Um, and I, I checked it the next day and it had gone up like a dollar twenty. And I thought, an oh my goodness. <laughs> I've got my next career. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to find myself on Wall Street. Um, but, yeah, that that was just probably the first two weeks. And now I'm checking probably, you know, once a week when I'm investing. It's, it's really um, teetered down. Nice. Good to hear. Well, I think that's that's the natural progression. You get all excited at the beginning and then you realise, okay, I'm holding yeah. this for like 10 years. So exactly. I'll just let it go. Exactly. So, Chloe, the main reason we've kind of had you on today is because obviously when people are starting out their investment journey and you're not having, you know, conversations with a lot of people or you maybe don't feel like you do have a community to reach out to, hopefully we are fostering that a little (laughs) bit. But um, there are questions that people have when they're starting out that they want to ask. And so we have allowed you to collate some of the questions that you've had thus far and put them to us. We will try and answer as best as we can. And hopefully it might help someone else who has started out investing or is, it, you know, at the beginning of their investing journey as well. Yeah, no questions well. too hard, please. So what <laughs> questions? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So um, one of the first questions that I had uh, when I was making that jump was obviously I had, uh, you know, built up a bit of a nest egg and I had a lump sum in my savings account, which we all know wasn't working for me. Um, so I, did, you know, was was making that jump, but I wasn't so sure of how much to be putting into my share portfolio um, and at what point in time. And I heard dollar cost averaging, but if you could explain to me the benefits of dollar cost averaging when you've got a, a built up sort of lump sum in your savings account rather than just dollar cost averaging from your, you know, monthly wages? Yeah. So I think this is a really um, super common question for people who are starting out because you usually have a little bit of a lump sum that you do want to start with. And the question, you know, might be, do I put it in all straight away or should I put this over kind of uh, a monthly like amount or a weekly amount or, or whatever it might be? But pretty much dollar cost averaging is regularly putting in amounts uh, into a specific investment, regardless of the share price, whether you think it's up or down. This could be fortnightly, monthly, or even every couple of months, um, depending on your preference and how much money you're wanting to invest. And the goal of dollar cost averaging is kind of averaging out out the price you pay for the investment. So if the price is high in one month, and then low in the other month, but you're still buying in both months, it kind of averages out what you're paying instead of if the price is high one month and you put in all your money and then it lowers the next month, then you've just kind of bought it at that high time. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So you're getting the benefit because it's, yeah, you're getting the average. Yeah, exactly. The general volatility. And I think one thing to keep in mind with this is the fee impact because Really, we sort of have a rule of thumb where we like to keep our brokerage fee to be about 1% of the amount of money that you're putting in because 
if the fee, the higher the fee is as a sort of a proportion of your investment, then the higher the return has to be on your investment just to earn back and just to cover that fee. So for that reason, it's sort of not effective to invest really small amounts every day if you are paying a brokerage fee. And I know that some some brokers you're not required to, which is great um, for ETFs. But I think the fees is really something to keep in mind because that should definitely impact um, sort of your approach to dollar cost averaging. I think the other thing that I just want to flag is like technically this does require you in its most fundamental sense to be investing in the same stock or ETF each time because, you know, different stocks are going to move or different ETFs are going to move at different times. So if we really want to be averaging in, it should be to the same ETF. That being said, I do think it kind of depends on what you're investing in. My personal experience when I was starting out was I averaged into or I was averaging into an Australian ETF and an American ETF. And I was sort of interchanging the two of them because at the time I sort of found that they were moving pretty similarly. But I guess, you know, in its purest sense, that's not technically dollar cost averaging. But, you know, I think that you can sort of flex the rules a little bit to like make it work for you. Yeah, absolutely. And one last point just about the fee that you said with the 1%, that just giving a good example of that, let's say you have $500 a month that you want to invest and your fee, your brokerage fee is $10. That means that you're paying 2% on a $500 investment. So if that's the case, you've got $500 a month that you um, can put away. It might be better to accumulate the 500 over two months. So then you've got a thousand and then you're making one investment with a thousand dollars with a $10 brokerage fee. So that's then your 1%. Okay. So one of the other uh, issues or questions that I have and have really struggled with along my journey, as you know, you girls are so eloquently put it, you know, one of the best parts and most important parts of investing is doing your own research. And I have actually loved that journey. And, you know, it's so fun, but sometimes you know, I'll be researching an ETF or a stock and then all of a sudden I'm, you know, down a Reddit thread and <laughs> someone from Wyoming is telling me that it's a good time to buy and then I check and it's, you know, a, a thread from 2018. Yeah. So even if I was going to take his opinion, it's, it's, it's a bit old. So, yeah, do you have any advice? on doing you know doing our own research and and where where what information do we trust yeah I think this is such a good question and like it's a bit hard because there's no sort of easy answer sorry but I think um you're right like when we spoke (laughs) to Emma Fisher I think it was last week and she talked about the research process and how investing is just such an amazing way to sort of connect you with the world and it makes you feel connected Sorry, it makes you invested in sort of reading the news and caring about that. It also makes conversations with other people in different industries so interesting. And I feel like I just really connected with her saying that. And I think it's probably my favorite thing about investing is sort of engaging in this research and sort of learning about so many different things. Um, So I did just want to touch on that. But I think it's so hard because there are so many different opinions out there. (laughs) You're right. Like when you Google a stock, Um, And you start reading those like analyses and there's just so much different commentary from everyone, from analysts or writers presenting their different opinions. And I think probably the most important thing to remember is all of these opinions just are 
like subjective, like everyone has their own opinion and everyone can probably back their opinions up with their own research and their own ideas and that's fine, but they just are everyone's individual opinions and no one can actually see the future and no one can predict exactly what's going to happen with the stock market, even the experts. So I think it's great to read widely and get differing opinions to sort of develop your own belief. It's probably never best just to read one source and then buy a stock based on that. I think it's probably best to have multiple different sources. Um, one of my, or some of my favorite and sort of most trusted resources would probably be like the news. I read the AFR a lot. Um, and then the other ones that I find quite sort of, um, sort of solid resources are the company reports or on the ASX website. But yeah, I guess you do. We do just want to acknowledge that like there are so many differing opinions out there. So don't let too much information be the enemy and like let yourself get overwhelmed, but have a couple of resources that you like to go to and that you sort of feel like you can trust and then work from there. Yeah, I guess that leads perfectly into my next question yes. because, <laughs> you know, I've I've enjoyed the research process and I, I feel confident or I, I, I'm building that confidence in, in growing my sort of base of reliable resources. But then all of a sudden I can read something and my conviction will just crumble oh. in, in, a, in an ETF Same. or a, a company <laughs> and I'm, I'm just ready to, to invest and then my conviction will sort of crumble. So do you have any tips around, you know, building that conviction and how do you sort of make that jump? And I guess widen that noise. Yeah, this again <laughs> is very hard to, I guess, put an answer to. But, you know, the reason why investing can be so difficult for some is because there's a lot of emotions involved. You know, you are putting your hard-earned money into this stock market. And, you know, we say and we think it's safe, but, you know, there's always that, there's always going to be that little bit of niggle of doubt that's like, but what if, what happens if it just totally crumbles tomorrow and you lose all your money? So, it's, I think it's the emotional part that you need to get over. And I think the best advice um, that we would have for like when you're beginning or even just when you're day-to-day -day investing is don't check your stocks <laughs> every day. That's the first one because that's where the emotion will come. That's when you'll start to feel nervous. Just like buy it and hold it and leave it. Do your research, you know, as Maddie said, read the news, look at company reports, like read broadly and really gain your own opinion. And if you have conviction in that company, if you really think it's going to go somewhere in the long term, then just ignore the other opinions and keep your conviction. But if you don't have the conviction, then start with something like an ETF, which, ETF, which has a lot of diversification and it's much less likely to be so volatile like as a company. And I think a good example of this is, Personally, I invested in a couple of cloud companies, so like cloud technology. We all have the cloud <laughs> on our iPhone. Um, a couple of months ago or, or like six or a year, even a year, it oh, might be wise. a year ago now. And um, recently a lot of tech stocks have gone down. So they're usually, you know, classified as a lot more volatile. But even though those cloud companies have gone down, I still believe that that technology is going to be such a necessity for the future. And the companies that I invested in, which are the cloud companies, I invested in them because they have really good management teams. So I still believe that these management teams can lead this technology that's going to be necessary into the future. So it's just about having that story about why you've bought into something. And if you believe it in the long term, then just don't check your stocks yeah, every day. <laughs> I completely <laughs> just don't watch. I completely doing. <laughs> agree with that. And I think that being said, like the only thing I would add to that is 
if the situation does change and like if you bought your stocks with something in mind, so for example, so if you talked about the management team, if all of a sudden it's front page news that mm. the CEO of that management team is committing fraud, like don't be afraid to <laughs> don't be afraid to accept then, then you can that, like your thesis has changed because it can and I think that's fine too. Like you don't mm. you're not locked in forever. People buy and sell stocks all the time. So I think exactly like you said, like have your conviction and if if it helps to write it down so you can refer back to it when things aren't going so well, then mm. that's great. But by the same notion, if things turn really bad then we can also sell these stocks like it's okay (laughs) yeah totally I think that's something that I'm still also wrapping my head around which is so good to keep in the forefront of my mind because obviously my investment well my investing strategy is to be a long-term investor so I do really want to buy and hold stocks so selling isn't really at the forefront of my mind but it, 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 it is a very possible sort of outcome like it's not the be all and end all if you buy into a company and something does go wrong I guess that's a good thing to keep in mind yeah as Emma Fisher said like every investor will make a mistake yeah like you're not good like you might go through life fine and dandy but there might be one point where you've made (laughs) the wrong decision and that's okay it's probably gonna be very soon Um, you learn more from your mistakes than you do from your good ones so yeah it's okay (laughs) your good good ones ones. (laughs) so eloquent. <laughs> One other thing that I wanted to ask you guys about. So obviously I'm about or I'm I'm feeling more confident in my uh, research process and I'm starting to look at buying into actual companies rather than just ETFs. And, you know, obviously through that research process, one of the most reliable sources I've been looking at is the company announcements. Um, and I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about, you know, how much attention I should be paying to these. You know, one company I'd been following was um, doing a share buyback and I was, you, you know, how do I make sense of it all and, and how much attention should I be paying? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And like you said, for if you have started invested recently, sort of depending on which broker you use, sometimes you might have noticed these announcements coming up as notifications on your app. And I guess just for a bit of context, like this is because you now own a stake in the company. So they are actually required to you as an owner to disclose certain information to you. So these announcements can be like a whole range of things. I think there are like, there are tens and maybe even hundreds of different announcements that can come up. So (laughs) I guess like the best suggestion that we can give if you're unsure is to give it a quick Google or jump into our Facebook group and we can sort of help to digest it together. But An example of one of the more regular ones that might come up is an earnings announcement. So companies that are listed on the ASX, for example, are required to report their earnings to the public on a half yearly basis. And this will come up as a company announcement, maybe in your broker or somewhere in um, your emails or letter. We all know that stocks send you a lot of letters. (laughs) Um, So it's quite common... um, that the share price can be more volatile in this period because investors might try to predict what the results upcoming are going to be prior to the announcement as well as once the announcement actually comes through. So if the results are higher than expected, for example, the share price might go up and if they're lower than expected, the share price might go down. So that's one example of a company announcement. So can you think of any others? Yeah, well, Chloe mentioned um, a share buyback and there's other ones such as like change of substantial ownership. 
Um, as Mad said, this is like a little notification. You just click on it and it'll have a little title. So these are just some common names you might see. <laughs> but yeah, change of substantial ownership just means that um, there's a shift of one of the largest owners. So that might be a director in the company uh, or institutional investors such as banks or the one that you mentioned, Chloe, a share buyback is a, the decision of a company to buy back some of its own shares um, and there could be a multitude of reasons why a company might do this so if you do see these announcements and you do want to understand them you could always like type in the company name on google and then share buyback and then try and get some context to why they are doing it but just to explain it a little bit a company will do this sometimes for for one of the reasons might be to boost the value of their own stock because if you've got the the company, let's just say company A is buying its own stock, that means the directors of company A are going, we think that our stock is potentially undervalued or um, that they might get some yeah value out of it in the future. So they're buying it back to kind of portray to the market that they think their stock is undervalued, which will then kind of lead people to go, well, you know, they've got the insider scoop of this company A, so maybe I should be buying the stock as well. That's just one example. But there can be a multitude of reasons why a company are doing these things, not just a share buyback, but any of the announcements. So if you are really concerned, just look up share buyback, then the company name, and I'm sure there'll be an article (laughs) with an opinion. There'll be so many differing opinions about why it's happening. (laughs) But it'll give you context for sure. Okay. Well, it sounds sounds like a buy. I think I'm (laughs) after your your explanation. So The insider scoop. (laughs) Not financial (laughs) advice, Chloe. You know where my money's going. <laughs> one one last thing that I am pretty concerned about and would love um, a little bit of uh, equity mates advice on is uh, tax time. It's June. It, end of financial year is readily approaching and uh, I genuinely have absolutely no idea what I'm supposed to do. Yes, very fair question. This has been coming up a lot amongst our community. A lot. Um, we hope that we have helped a few people to start investing in the last year. So there are certainly going to be, and we know that over COVID, a lot of millennials um, have started investing for the first time. So this is going to be the first tax return that a lot of people are doing Um, sort of since they've started investing. Because of that, and we're going to give you a little teaser, we are not going to answer your question right now, but we're going to do a full episode on that in the weeks coming up. We love a plug. So stay tuned. We will answer your question in the next couple of weeks. Plugging ourselves on our own podcast. (laughs) Give us enough time, especially those of us who aren't great at admin and tend to leave things until probably the 29th of June. I'll be, there'll be heaps of downloads. Yeah. At least. <laughs> Rapid downloads on June 29th. We hope. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so, Chloe, I think there were some great questions. We hope that they have um, helped some people if they also had those questions on their mind. We wanted to ask you. We hope that we answered Yeah, we them. hope that we answered them okay, <laughs> but obviously open to more discussion on any of our social media channels. Um, <laughs> now that you've started investing yourself, do you have, and you probably have been listening to, you know, people giving their own advice, the, all our guests, what's your piece of advice for someone that, you know, wants to be interested in learning more about investing or who actually wants to take the plunge? What would you say? Um, I wish I could give an original piece of advice right now, something really groundbreaking that everyone would come away and think, 
oh god that newbie investor yeah she's really got it down pat (laughs) but unfortunately (laughs) what i'm going to say is something that everybody has probably heard a hundred times already and i think the reason why everybody's heard it before is because it is so true and it is just to start because once you start you know no matter where you are you know obviously you know don't throw away all your savings and do it you know in a way that (laughs) yeah you know in a way that you feel comfortable (laughs) with but you know just the smallest portion of money that you can you know feasibly part ways with for the next three or five years start investing because once you start you know start doing your own research and actually following some companies or ETFs or you know wherever you want to put your money once you start you've got skin in the game and you'll do you'll continue that research and you'll become so much more interested and if if you're at that stage where you're sort of interested at the minute and you're following your own good company and you sort of that's your one resource that you're engaging with a week once you start you'll you'll just build that resource base and you'll start reading books and you'll start talking to people and my god it's so funny once I actually started then it was like my world changed. Every every person around me all of a sudden was, <laughs> you know, was in, uh, investing it, and they just weren't talking about it. <laughs> it was like a crazy person. I was walking around to everybody. So being, yeah, you're yeah, out there. Do, you have, do you have investments? Do you have shares? And everyone would be like, oh, yeah, I've been investing for the past three years. Or, oh, yeah, my grandpa bought me shares. Oh, yeah, I've you know, I bought into this ETF. And I was like, oh, my God, this is just, like, the best kept secret in the world. Like, everybody, everybody's doing yeah. it. You just don't know. Yeah. I totally so agree. You start, you, yeah. you just, you, you'll follow it. You'll become so much more engaged. <laughs> and you'll also be able to have great conversations with people and learn so much about, like you guys always say, you know, it's not just about, you know, one stock or one market. You know, you can relate to macro trends and have you know great conversations and it just builds your understanding of the world so just start it's boring but just start (laughs) (laughs) that was so good and then you jumped in at the end and said it's boring (laughs) it's boring but start Chloe I think that is such great advice I'm just laughing to myself because you've got a little name at the bottom of your screen which says idiot investor and we did I not think do today that. you have demonstrated that you are absolutely not an idiot investor yeah Chloe did that herself by the way <laughs> we but we would like to say a massive thank you for coming on again today we have absolutely loved following your journey thus far and I think we are definitely gonna have to get you on again to hear your progress in another couple of months time and see how you're going but thank you so much for joining us again today and it's been really great hearing how you're going thanks for having me i can't wait to keep listening and obviously i will be listening very soon when the financial year approaches (laughs) we love applause (laughs) no pressure on the tax episode (laughs) thanks girl thanks Thanks, (laughs) we are just going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. That was such a great chat with Chloe. It's so nice to see that, like, she's actually come, you know, she's actually made some investments she's and she's so actually far. started. Yeah, she's come so far. <laughs> No, but it is, I think it's great to check in and um, a lot of those questions I'm sure are also on other people's minds. So good to definitely digest. We also reached out to you guys to see if you had any other questions that you were struggling with at the minute or you wanted us to cover. So we're going to go through a couple of those um, quickly now and hopefully clarify a couple more things. So Mads, our first question that we got was, how does investing in different assets work if you're investing in them through the stock market? So why aren't they considered stocks? Yeah, so I think that's a really great, great question. <laughs> great <Wait> question. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I just will start by like defining assets really broadly. And an asset can really be anything that you own. So it could be your stocks, but it could also be a piece of art or a nice bottle of wine or your car or your house. It can be anything. <laughs> it has to be nice wine though. It can't just be anyone. No. Yeah, I was going to say, like, does, <laughs> does my $10 bottle of wine from Aldi count? Is sure. That, an asset? <laughs> that, that can be an asset. <laughs> um, but then I guess within the stock market, you can invest in a range of asset classes. So Some examples of asset classes include stocks, bonds, gold, fixed interest, and also property. So some of these you can access directly and others you can buy via an ETF. So for example, you can Google and there's a gold ETF or there are bond ETF. So there are lots of different assets and lots of different asset classes and they're lots of different asset classes that you can buy through the stock market, not just stocks. Give it a bit of a Google. Yeah, exactly right. Now, another question, Soph, that came up on our Facebook group was that we've been mentioning blue chip companies a couple of times, but can you explain what does blue chip actually mean and why do people invest in blue chip companies? Yep. So this is a good term just to have your head around because I think this one is also in the news a lot. Like when you're reading um, newspapers, people often say this. Such a weird like way to describe something. Like what it's, it just doesn't explain what it is, what it means at all. (laughs) Well, I reckon it has some background meaning. I just haven't looked into it, but I will. (laughs) But um, a blue chip usually is a nationally recognized, well-established and financially sound company. So If we're in Australia, we're thinking like the big names that we all know. So your CBA, your Commonwealth Bank or your NAB or other names like Woolworths, uh, West Farmers or Telstra. So that's obviously in the Australian market. So everyone knows those names. They're very well established. They've been going for a long time and um, they financially, I guess, are sound. (laughs) (laughs) But 
people will often add these to their portfolios as they're classified as like in inverted commas safer uh, Mm. or less volatile. And usually when people say when we're defining blue chip, it it kind of means that they're considered that they um, will endure economic downturn, but overall they might have like slower, longer growth. So it's not probably your, you know, riskier, high growth assets. So if you take the example of the banks, for example, CBA or NAB or, um, you know, they were definitely affected by COVID, but banks are still a necessity and they're a necessary component of society. um, And so therefore they've bounced back well compared to maybe other stocks. So then another question we got, I actually think this was from one of my friends. She sent me a text because she bought her first stock. Yay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But she asked, um, she bought a dividend paying stock. Are you better off reinvesting your dividends or not? Like what are the pros and cons? Yeah, this is a really great question. So I'll run through some of the pros to start off with. So When you continue automatically investing your dividends, you don't have to think about it, which is a great pro. Mm. You, by reinvesting, you get the benefits of compound interest. So because the money is going straight back into the equity markets or into stocks, any interest or dividends that you earn on your investment is going straight back into the stock market. So that's a great way to sort of grow your wealth through compound interest. Then the other main one that I would say is that when you are reinvesting your dividends, you don't have to pay the brokerage fees to reinvest the dividend. So if you get paid a dividend in Woolworths, for example, and it's sitting in your bank account and then you say in another couple of months, all right, now I want to invest that money that I made, that dividend in a different stock, you'll pay brokerage fees for that investment, for that purchase that you make of the new stock. When you reinvest your dividends, though, you actually don't have to pay that brokerage because it happens automatically and it goes straight back into the stock that you already invested in. So that's something to keep in mind. Cons would be that you don't receive that cash income. So I guess depending on your personal situation at the moment, you might actually want those dividends in cash to use yourself and you might not want to reinvest it straight back into the stock market. And then the other con that sort of comes to mind, I guess less of a con and more of just a fact, is that you are still taxed on the dividend income. So unfortunately, by reinvesting your dividends, you're not evading the tax system. Um, (laughs) So yeah, you will still be taxed on that income, even if it is reinvested straight away. Now, so a question that has come up a few times, and I think in particular, this one is a great one. Sometimes, and I came across this quite a bit in the last week when we've been doing our ETF pitch nights, bit of a shout out, go to our Instagram and check out our IGTVs. (laughs) We did seven days of ETF pitches for seven days of lockdown. So if you need some inspo for some ETFs to get into, go and check that out. But some of the ETFs that we have looked at or that are out there, can be hedged or unhedged. And it literally just says this in the title without really any explanation of what this means. So can you please help us today? What are we talking about when we see these hedged and unhedged words? Yep. So I am definitely not an expert in the area, but I can try and give 
a little bit of a layman's term explanation. When we talk about hedging, we're talking about currency hedging. And I think it will only happen if you're, say, in Australia, you'll only get exposure to hedged ETFs if you're investing internationally. Because when you invest internationally, you're exposed to the risks in the forms of foreign currency and exchange rate movements. So like quick example, let's say you have $1,000 in Australian AUD and you want to invest this in a US ETF. And when you convert that, you know, today it might be worth $800, $800 USD. And then let's say, you know, in two months time, the Australian dollar heavily depreciated and then you could only buy um, 60 cents worth of USD with one Australian dollar, it would mean that your 800 USD was now 600 USD. So if you go and sell it, you've lost money through the currency movement. Wow. (laughs) That was hard to get out. And I'm really sorry if I've lost you there. But all I guess we're trying to say with the hedging is that when you buy a hedged ETF, it means that the fund manager is putting in, you know, a financial instrument, which is you know, a bit complicated, too complicated to explain, but they're putting in an instrument that will actually kind of safeguard you from that currency movement so that when you do go to sell it, you've actually got a locked exchange rate from the day that you bought it so that you don't actually um, get exposed to that fluctuation in any of the exchange rate or the currency movement. Did that make sense to you, Maddie? (laughs) That made sense, but I am wondering like why everyone wouldn't buy hedged, but I guess the current or the exchange rate could also move in your favor. So that might also be an advantage to unhedged. But I am wondering, do you pay more for hedged? Because it sounds like the fund manager might have to do some extra work on their end. Yeah. So usually with a hedged ETF, there will be a high management fee. So that's definitely something to look into. And you're right. Like people might not buy unhedged because of the reason that there's obviously an upside risk as well, uh, as well as obviously that downside risk. Another question we got was what is or isn't a risky investment and what indicators can kind of show what a risky investment is? Yeah, I think that's a really good question and it's quite a hard question um, and sort of one that's on the forefront of, I guess, all of our minds when we're thinking about investing and particularly when we're thinking about investing in particular stocks. But there are sort of three things that personally I really like to look at when I'm trying to evaluate the risk um, sort of on a broad basis of a company. And the first one is like looking at the market that it's in. So is it in a developed market like Australia or the US or the UK? Or are we looking at a company that's in an emerging market like different places in Asia, for example? The next one is looking into the industry that it's in. So we can have really high growth industries. So an example of that might be in in tech where developments are happening really quickly and what is relevant one day might not be relevant the next day. And in high growth industries, there tends to be a little bit more risk associated with the speed of the rate that things are moving. We can compare that to more stable industries. So maybe your banks or your supermarkets or something like that, that are less likely to go from one day being relevant to the next day being irrelevant. And then the third one that I like to think about is the company itself and sort of what phase of the company life cycle is it in? So is it in the growth phase? Is it really early on? Is it still developing? Is it still growing really rapidly? Or is it a more mature company that's been around for, you know, 
for decades. It's got its customers, it's got its suppliers, and it's really sort of settled within the industry itself. So those are three things I sort of like to look at more broadly to evaluate whether something's risky. So looking at the market, the industry, and then what sort of phase the company is in itself. I think that leads us pretty nicely into our next and final question. And so if that's looking at, so when we look at these risky companies, um, one way that we can sort of help to balance out our portfolio is using defensive assets. So do you have any thoughts or any tips for our listeners of sort of what percentage of defensive assets you should look to have in your portfolio? Yeah, so this is a question that we had in our Facebook community and I guess we touched on some of the assets before, but the defensive assets really are your gold, bonds and fixed interest. And I think the percentage that you should allocate to your portfolio will really, really depend on your risk tolerance. If you don't know what your risk tolerance is, jump onto like a robo advisor uh, and do one of their like quiz. What would you call it? Their quizzes or their yeah. like forms? Um, they have like online, online, <laughs> online. <laughs> They have like online tests that you can do. It doesn't take long. It's like 15 minutes and it will kind of spit out what your portfolio, what your risk tolerance is. And then it will also say, you know, if you're a conservative profile, it might say you have 60% defensive assets and then 40% growth. If you're balanced, you might have 60% growth assets and 40% defensive. Um, and then if you're in a more growth portfolio, then you'll have a much higher percentage towards your growth assets. But I think if you're wanting to go into putting defensive assets into your portfolio, the easiest way is just looking up some ETFs that will track gold, bonds, or fixed interest. You can give this a bit of a Google. There's a lot of providers that do provide those ETFs. Awesome. Well, we hope you have enjoyed today's episode, checking in with our newbie investor, Chloe, and answering some of the questions that have come up recently in our Facebook and Instagram community. If you haven't joined our Facebook community, please do so. YIGC Investing Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at YIGC Podcast. And if you have any other questions that you want us to tackle down along the line, please let us know. We're happy to incorporate them into the episodes. (laughs) But otherwise, you will hear us next week. Chat with you then. (laughs) Bye. You're in Good Company is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of You're In Good Company are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Your In Good Company acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 